Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's episode of the Platinum Saburo podcast is brought to you by the Foundation for Naming Baseball Teams After People. With teams like the Atlanta Daves, the Los Angeles Rodgers, the Cincinnati Teds, Philadelphia Phils, the New York Frankies, the New York Bretts, the Kansas City Roys, and the Minnesota Gins, you too will find yourself saying, take me out to the Paul game. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. High ball, belt to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, belt to right, look into the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. The perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find that next person to help grow your business, LinkedIn Jobs will match the right talent with your open role fast. LinkedIn has over 675 million members worldwide. Their LinkedIn jobs screen candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want it to be seen by, the people you want to hire, people with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder a person's hired every eight seconds using LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash braves. Again, that's linkedin.com slash braves, B-R-A-V-E-S, to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, everybody, welcome into the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media. As you guys can obviously tell, we have a brand new sponsor. So welcome to LinkedIn Jobs. Very happy to have you here. Uh, I know my LinkedIn page is fraught with members of the radio community and fraught with people in general. Sometimes people I haven't spoken to in about eight years. Uh, I don't know about you, Doc, but LinkedIn Jobs always keeping you posted. Armchair Media always keeping us posted. So today is a very special day for a number of reasons. 
Number one, as you guys may have been able to tell from my Twitter post yesterday, I was able to feel Carter, my soon-to-be-born son, move around for the first time ever. This was the first time I felt him move, and I'm still a little bit distracted and over the moon about that. Luckily, we've got Doc here, and Doc, being the consummate professional that he is, has done a phenomenal job of reeling me in and really taking care of the nitty-gritty work for me today as I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. I mean... Let's hope so. I'm I'm super excited for you guys. So that's uh that's really cool. That's really really cool stuff, man. Thank you very much. It came at a good time, quite honestly. As uh, today was uh, what we had all originally marked down on our calendars as opening day, as the Braves were going to be taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks starting at ten o'clock on this Thursday night, featuring the new Arizona Diamondback Madison Bumgarner. We would have seen. It's amazing to think of. We would have been seeing Mike Soroka throw an immaculate game today. Isn't it just kind of weird to think that Julio Tehran and his his streak of opening day starts still, it lives it still lives it's still going <laughs> they're gonna bring I him mean, back. is it technically gonna live anyway are we gonna be in the 2021 and say Julio Tehran is still technically as the opening day start you know we it's still too early to tell when the when the schedule is gonna wind up coming back and and we're gonna have baseball again but until it happens, I'm still holding out hope that Julio's going to wind up getting traded here from the Angels or something like that. So uh, bring him back next year on a one-year deal. If they wind up canceling baseball all year, just bring back Julio to, to start on opening day, and then you can trade it back to the Angels. <laughs> it is. It's one of those – that's one of those weird trivia questions that's going to come up for a long time. Like, Doc, are you aware that the last Braves pitcher that – the last opening day pitcher that was not Julio Tehran was Tim Hudson? God, has it been that long? It has been that long. The Braves have not had another opening day starter, aside from Julio Tehran, since Tim Hudson in, I want to say, 2012, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think, the, uh, is it 12 or 13? I think it's it might have been, two. I think it might have been 13, because, yeah, because Julio did 14 through, 14 through 19. He had six straight years. So, God, that, doesn't that just put a timestamp on how long that was? Granted, he was not supposed to be that guy last year. That was gonna be that was gonna be Fulty's thing or gonna be Soroka's thing, and it kind of fell backwards into that. So, that's that's that will always be his job. Julio's number one job with the Braves was always opening day starter. Right, because we knew that it wasn't gonna fluster him. We'll we'll live with what happens. Just go out there and uh, take the mound. Yeah, and, and in certain cases, like opening day last year against the Phillies, here's the good thing about not having opening day this year, is you remember all of the backlash and all all of the sky is falling. This was the series that gave birth to the Tiger Woods meme and how bad everything went in Philadelphia. <laughs> so The series that started a movement. Right. By the way, by the way, Congrats to Braves Twitter for what we did with that Tiger Woods meme uh, across all of it. I don't know if you remember this, Doc, but do you remember that series with the Rockies where the Braves won a game, they came back and won a game, and we were all sitting around for like an hour and a half just waiting for the Rockies to post that score, and they would not do it. Well, they knew what was coming, and and it got to the point where other fan bases would you would start to see him say, "Okay, we're obviously going to lose this. Lose this one. Just bring on the Braves fans." And what a what a complicated thing! Like that's the most 2019. <laughs> that is the most 21st century event 
You know what I mean? Just what a weird, weird thing. And then there's like other people that would, you know, the, the Reds would beat the Braves and somebody would come in and post a picture of Phil Mickelson. Like, that's not funny. It's only funny when we do it. Right. And it's only funny when it's Tiger. I mean, it's just, it just fits so perfectly. Yeah. Oh man. I will. That is, that is truly a moment in Braves Twitter that I will never forget. And I really don't think we will ever be as united as we were posting Tiger Woods memes throughout all the losses. I mean, it got to the point where like the Marlins wouldn't want to post until we kind of got cool with Marlins fans. But I, I, I distinctly remember the Rockies fans got really angry about it. And the Rockies Twitter, that poor social media intern knew it was coming and just did not want to post that score. Cause they knew they were about to look down and see 300 notifications, all different Tiger Woods photoshops. A lot of work. <laughs> went into that <laughs> a ton of work went into that like that's the weirdest form of volunteer work and people weren't weren't being really particular about their quote-unquote art they just like okay yeah, this belongs to the community you know here, right here. right was that uh scott and garav i believe were the ones that started that entire thing yeah yeah and th- there's still some people it's been it's been a year and people are still People still have that same picture. But yeah, the opening day series last year, that was what gave birth to that because it was so, you know, the whole point of the picture, for anybody's not familiar with it, where Tiger's got this look where, you know, maybe he's drunk, maybe there's something else going on, there's some other types of inebriants, but it's the idea Something was, didn't happen. <laughs> something didn't happen that was supposed to happen. Yeah, it's like that fake smile or that, that look of like smiling but about to cry. And, you know, and the season, you know, the team obviously rebounded. You can only put so much stock in what happens in opening day weekend, but it's, it's sad to delay it. It really is sad. And the and opening day is going to come. There's, there's going to come a point at some time this season that there will be some baseball played and, unless, unless this whole COVID thing turns into like a, a much bigger deal than it is now. It is a big deal now, but it would take something monumental to completely shut the season down. So opening day is going to happen at some point, And when it does, it's going to be glorious. But when tensions start running high and there's a lot of scrutiny around every single roster move and the way last season ended, people are going to be, just with the itchy trigger finger, just waiting to come out and completely lose their minds on this. So I got to tell you, if the Braves were to lose this series to the Diamondbacks, I'm, I'm, it's been five and a half months. I'm not ready for the, you know, cancel the season, time to rebuild again. All of those sentiments, whether they're real or not, they're still annoying. So I'm not ready for all of that to happen. So uh, that's, that is my silver lining for why it's okay that opening day is not today. And plus baseball doesn't belong in March. It belongs in April. Opening day should be in April. I really am very curious to see like what is this year's Tiger Woods going to be. I I've got this very morbid curiosity about what it's going to be. Like I should be expecting great things. I should be super excited about the season because the team is going to be outstanding this year as soon as everything gets underway, injuries notwithstanding. But really I just keep finding myself thinking now, like, "Oh, what's going to be this year's Tiger Woods?" Cuz it's going to happen. This is what Braves fandom does. Every offseason, we tear each other apart and act like spoiled, rotten children and drama queens. And then we get to the season, and we, we're all still fighting each other about, oh, who likes this person, who likes that person. All of a sudden, the Braves go into this nosedive, and everybody bands together in this perfect Atlanta depressive harmony, and something beautiful <laughs> is born from it. <laughs> I just want to see what it's going to be this year. Please don't take that away from me. Yeah, it's been... 
you know, it's been a rough couple of years for Atlanta sports. Even even by Atlanta sports standards, it's been a really rocky couple of years when you're looking at uh, 2017 was a kick in the nads. Well, I mean, 28 to three and national championship games. Second I know there's a 26. lot of crossover. Yeah, I mean, the we're kind of used to that. I mean, 1998 wasn't much better. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that was yeah, that was a year that they got trucked by the Broncos in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, not just that, but your starting safety got busted for prostitution. Oh, the night with before. his wife there. Yeah, that was dumb. That was real dumb on a lot of counts. Uh, like, oh no. Well, and then we got stomped out by the Yankees. Yeah, that wasn't a lot of fun either. But I don't know. It's there, there is this this weird empty. No matter no matter how everything winds up going, whenever whenever it does come back, there is a very weird sense of emptiness. It's kind of floating around a little bit, and I do like the fact that MLB has been doing the opening day at home thing and and replaying old games. Got to watch the the second inning of the. Uh, NLDS Game 3 of 2018, better known as the Ronald Acuna Grand Slam game. And I have actually never watched that game because I was at it. So it's been really cool to go back and, and see it from the vantage point of where I usually see it from, which is, you know, staring at the screen instead of seeing it in real life, which when I say it out loud like that is kind of depressing. But have you been able to watch any of the, the replays that they've done? I got to got to watch some of the Rafael Ortega Grand Slam game uh Two days ago, three days ago, when when they aired that. See, I don't I don't watch replays. Like I already know the outcome. If I already know the outcome of the game, I don't usually go back and rewatch it unless it's like college football and I'm doing something for like the draft and I'm trying to look at specifics. I don't really go back and watch baseball games that I already know the outcome of. It kind of takes it away. It takes it away from it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but I I haven't been watching any of the replays. Um, I certainly, I still remember the moment when I saw it. My wife and I were laying in bed, and uh, for whatever reason, she was still awake at this time, just watching the game. And when he should have walked, we looked at each other and got real angry. And I was like, "That's bullcrap!" And she kind of looks at me and goes, "He's about to hit a grand slam. Just watch." And the very next pitch, sure enough, it did. And we just kind of looked at each other and started screaming. That was just the most electrifying moment, and. I was at that game with my dad. I had every year we'll do, we'll go back and forth and, you know, my birthday, his birthday and father's day, we will always go to games for all of those. And that's been a tradition that's been going on for forever. I think my family's really bad at buying gifts. So that's something that we always did. And for father's day that year, or maybe it was his birthday rather, because his birthday's in July, which is after father's day, I dropped the ball. I didn't get tickets. And so I came to him right as the season was ending, and I was like, hey, so, you know, I totally bricked here, and I didn't, you know, we didn't go to a game for your birthday. He's like, it's like he didn't even notice or he didn't even care. And I said, so we're going to go to a playoff game instead. And it just so happened to be the first one ever at SunTrust. And that was, you know, looking back on that moment, I've got a ton of cherished baseball memories, and that one is, like, far and away, number one. Just being... Being in there and thinking for a second, because that place was bouncing and shaking. It was like, it was terrifying for a second about how much the building was moving. And just, you know, fathers and sons in baseball, it's just a special bond to begin with. And as soon as he hit it and play started going berserk, we just kind of looked at each other. And that, that look that 
fathers and sons can give each other in that moment. You know what I mean? It's it seems weird, but it's like a, a different type. Perfect, of, yeah, that perfect moment type of look. Yeah, yeah. Like I do wonder. I wonder which was louder, Acuna's slam or Hayward's home run. I wasn't at the Hayward's game, but I would have. I wasn't at that game either, but that was. <clears throat> Even through the TV, that was something else because we'd all been waiting on Hayward all year. And really, the year before that, we'd all been talking about Jason because he was local, and we'd been we'd been sitting there. I re- do you remember? There's a rule that was in place that they had to wait until he had an official app had to get through the fifth inning, I believe, so that he could be officially a major league player before they could start selling his his like jersey and stuff like that. So in the middle of like the seventh inning or like the sixth inning or something like that, all of a sudden they finally opened up all the boxes, of the Jason Hayward Atlanta Braves jerseys and sold out within seconds. That was, that was such a huge game and such a huge at bat. It's kind of hard to picture what it's like for somebody who is a fan of that team growing up is taken so high is such a huge prospect. Remember Hayward was essentially what a Hayward was essentially what, Ronald Acuna Jr. is now like that's how everybody viewed Hayward. That's what he was going to be, just game changing. To have all that hype on him, and in his first at bat against Carlos Sambrano, who was actually Carlos Sambrano at the time, and hit it like four seventy. That that moment was who that was insane. That was Chip's best call. No no question oh, about by it. By far, and in a moment like that, like so many people, I mean. We have it in the in the intro of our show. I mean, we obviously think a lot of it. So, so but in a moment like that, you've got to nail it. You've got to get the absolute perfect call. And people love to just bang on Chip. And I I like Chip. I don't have a problem with him with him at all. But I think that that particular one that was like the perfect the perfect call because he was just as excited as anybody in that building. You know, and, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, everybody in there. And with Hayward, it was. I don't remember if it was opening day, opening day, or just Braves home opener, but massive sellout crowd. And same thing with the Acuna thing, where it's it's a playoff game, first ever in the history of that stadium. So you, it was packed house. I would imagine the one for Hayward was probably louder, if you want to go decibel-wise, just because Turner Field held a lot more people. Well, it was also, I want to say it was home opener. I don't believe it was the opener opener. Because uh, I believe it was in April when he hit that. I wanted to say like an April thirteenth, but was, I could be I could be totally off on that. No, it was April fifth, which they didn't start doing March opening day until the last couple of years. So that was, um, yeah, April fifth, first at bat. You're right. I don't know why I was thinking April thirteenth. That was ten years ago. That was ten years ago. Isn't that insane? That it been 10 years since that moment when you're growing up and everybody's always saying oh just what do you get older and time starts to go by fast and you're okay and then you blink and a decade goes by you know and i remember i remember a lot about that 2010 season and that was that was special there that was a that was a really really special team i have often made reference to my to the black hole in my baseball memories and that was kind of towards the um towards the end of that and and something like that i mean even even having a massive black hole i still remember the jeff francor 
coming up and basically doing the same thing Hayward did uh, just in July instead of doing it in uh, at the beginning of the season. You you tend to remember moments like that, but 10 years. I mean, it's just that moment where like all that hype finally comes to pass. You were first off you were able to actually draft him, which I believe what was Hayward? I don't think the Braves were horrible before they got him, so I don't think it was a particularly high pick. I wanted to say in the 20s, right? It's like 14. 21. 14, 14 or 16 maybe. Wasn't wasn't a top 10 pick. I know that. But, uh, I mean, it was it was just a surreal moment, just like the Acuna one was. Uh, it, it's fun to go back and look at these, but I don't really like to rewatch the games. I'm just, I want that moment again now. It always kind of makes you wonder, because you never can plan for that moment. Kind of makes you think, like, what's going to be the next moment? Like, will it be... Drew Waters would 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 a Drew Waters debut like would Drew Waters home run have that same type of cachet as like Acuna's or Hayward's and I don't think it will because we're all so kind of because the Braves sucked for so long and we had to go through that rebuild we're all so much more in tune with prospects than we were then but we'd follow Hayward around and just wait for him to get up here but it wasn't like it is now where we're following these guys every single game that they're playing. And we already know all their stat lines and all this stuff with Hayward. It was different, man. It was like, it was the first time anybody really saw him and his first chance to impress blasts one. And it's unfortunate that he'd never, he had a a pretty good run, but he still, he never fully lived up to the hype. Part of that was, was in- oh no! I mean, well, he was supposed to be the next thing. Yeah, I mean, and we were talking before the show about when you project somebody, do you give the floor? Do you give the ceiling? I mean, there were people that were saying, you know, he's the next coming Willie of Mays. Hank Aaron. Or he whatever. was getting Willie Mays comparisons, man. Yeah, I mean, n- no pressure, kid. But you know, so- we called him the J. Hay kid, which that was kind of an unfortunate uh, offshoot of of his last name. But uh, and I wonder if his last name hadn't been Hayward and the J Hay thing and the Say Hay kid, if those two things didn't line up so much, I wonder what his nickname would have actually been if his name was like you know Jason Jones or, or something like that. But I've who got- knows? But I mean, he was such a it was such a because th- he's such a Hulk. Like, he's massive, and it was I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever have that again because I did watch that live. I don't know that I'll ever have that feeling again. Where you're just kind of like, whoa, where everything just kind of stops for a minute and you're completely in that one moment. I'm not sure I'll have that in sports again. Um, somebody may surprise me. I'm sure somebody will, but those types of moments are, are what last forever. Now, I'm fine with like rewatching those moments, but the problem is it never feels the same the second or third time. That's one of those things that the feeling in the exact moment is kind of indescribable. You can't really do that again. Well, yeah, and, and I had talked about the, the look that my dad and I gave each other. You know what I mean? I've watched the clip of Acuna hitting that Grand Slam a hundred times, like literally a hundred times, and it'll never carry the same weight as that moment because at a certain point, it's just a video clip, you know, and you get farther and farther away from those emotions and everything, and, you know, I learned about baseball with you know, through my dad and through my mom and through my grandfather. And so, and being able to, um, share the sharing it is the, is the biggest thing, you know, cause he's got his memories of that too. And like, it, it's, it is harder to, to get all riled up. I still, you can still remember it, but you're never going to fully relive it. 
you know. And so when I'm watching the the Ortega Grand Slam game, which my dad and I were also at, we, we got to watch a Braves outfielder hit a Grand Slam against the Dodgers at uh, when, back when it was still called SunTrust. And and you're right, you know, even knowing knowing the outcome and say, okay, it's 5-3 in the seventh. And I just remember, well, the Braves win this game 5-3. But I, I had been missing baseball so much, it was the first time that I really had a chance to, to watch something that was meaningful because we can debate the merits of the meaningfulness of spring training all we want. Still, as far as like formal stats, it, it doesn't, it still doesn't count. So even if you watch, watch the game with Freddie, so, oh, there's wind boys or whatever, like that's a fun memory, <laughs> but it doesn't count. So it's, it's weird no. to, trying to, to get through it and using that as, as a bandaid to say, well, this is all of the baseball I'm going to get until question mark. Right now, as to that question, Mark, if you guys have been paying attention today, uh, Rob Manfred did publicly state that they're looking for uh, they're looking to start the season in May. Now, not looking for the first game in May, but looking to gear back up in May. So, uh, probably about a four week abridged, I guess, quasi spring training to get everybody ramped back up. So, you'd probably be looking right around early June, maybe this, maybe even the second week of June which would still probably leave you the interesting question there. What we should really be talking about is what they're going to do for the season, because they're obviously not going to fit 162. They'd be playing games till Christmas and that's not going to happen. Although it would be very cool for the world series to play during Christmas. That would be awesome. Um, I think when you're looking at, at what's going to happen, then are they going to do multiple double headers? Like they've talked about, or are they going to do like a 90 game schedule what what's going to happen? Are they going to run through all the way through November and compete with the NFL? Or are they still going to kind of try to stop right around October and then have the World Series in November? Don't really know what they're going to do, but there's a few different options they can do. I'm just happy that we finally got a a time period where we can kind of circle. It's not a it's not a definitive date yet, but man, it's so much better than not knowing. And that's the hardest thing about about all this. I know. I think I've said it on the the show probably every single week since it started to happen. Is this the most confusing thing is just the uncertainty like if we if we knew that march 26 was going to be opening day so we were striving for that and then this happened and it's just going well we'll see we'll just see what happens next and that is kind of a best case scenario date and you still have to look at into may you give guys like a, a truncated version of spring training and so at that point you're kind of shooting for late june maybe fourth of july as, as a start and you can still, if you're getting multiple days off in there, you obviously are going to pull the all-star game out of there and have to rework it. You will have to do some double headers. It's going to kill a lot of the rest days that are, that are in there. And I wonder about roster expansion. And since guys aren't going to be able to rest as much, whether they would be willing to bump it to a 27, 28-man roster just to keep from guys completely flaming out if they don't have built-in rest days like that. So... That's a Brian Snicker dream. Um, you know, if, as long as he decides to utilize it properly. So, <laughs> but th- this does call to mind a number of different things. Like the Braves were supposed, to, were supposed to be playing the Diamondbacks today, which when they do their West Coast swing, after that they were going to go to San Diego. And back when I thought opening day was actually going to happen, I was like, man, I don't want to stay up for a game that's going to start at ten after I've been waiting all this time for it, and then have the first week just basically be nothing but West Coast games because it gets a little harder at those that everybody's schedule off. And 
you still are going to have to factor in West Coast games. It's not as simple as just, say, the season starts on 4th of July. You don't just pick the schedule up at 4th of July. You still have scheduling considerations for playing all of the different teams and doing home and away series like with the Giants or, or the Dodgers or any of the, any of the West Coast teams that I haven't mentioned already. So they will have to figure out how they're going to proceed with the schedule, and you, you also have to have the most amount of games played against your division rivals. So there's still a lot to figure out, but having that date is a, is a very, even if it's just kind of an optimistic dream, then it still is like, okay, I can deal with knowing that it'll be two months before they're starting spring training or three months until the season starts. That's way better than just whenever you get around to it. I mean, it, there's a lot of things that are going to play here. <clears throat> I mean, just talking about what they're going to do with service time, which they're talking about probably prorating the salaries, what that's going to mean for guys on one-year deals or rookies getting called up. Because it's usually like, what's the Super 2 deadline going to be? Because, I mean, the whole season's essentially going to be 90 games. If you get to full 90, that's not enough to consider you a full season's worth of service time. So what's going to be... Is it just going to go based off... Because usually the Super 2 is what? In lay terms, it's playing a certain number of games more than the than the quote-unquote average rookie, if I'm not mistaken, right? The the guys that play more in their rookie seasons than everybody else is kind of what enables them to be super two. Usually it's called up around like the May, second week in May, I want to say is the super two deadline. Yeah, it shifts every year, but that, it usually kind of comes right around the middle of May. I want to say, I want to say it's usually the guys that play it's, I, I want to say it's kind of arbitrary set. I think it's usually set up by you take the number of games played by the rookies. And I want to say the guys that play the most, I think it's up to like 25% or something like that. That's your Super 2, but I'm not 100% on that. I'd have to read that. I'd have to read up on that again. Super 2 has always been kind of weird and hard to, to fully understand because the target date moves around a lot. So what do you do with that date? If you're... Because it's arbitrary to begin with, you can kind of put it whenever you want, but if you're lopping 72 games off the schedule, if we can just use a 90-game season, then where do you plan it? I guess I guess you break it down to percentages and say that you know, normally this takes place uh, one-sixth into the season or one-fifth into the season. You figure out exactly what the date's going to be from there. And I'm sure that they're going to have contingencies built in to where things are going to have to shift. Because, you know, summertime, Georgia, there's there's going to be rainouts. There's going to be the probably the biggest discrepancy in games played amongst teams in any year, in uh, any time in recent years. Like in 2016, when Jose Fernandez died, the Braves played 161 because he passed at the end of the year and there was no chance to make it up. And then you'll have teams that will have to do 163 for tiebreaker games. And with something like this, if you get a couple of rainouts, you could conceivably see a team with just no opportunity to go up and make up three or four games. So that would be really interesting to, to see how this is why they do it by percentage points and not by doing it in terms of wins for, for division series and playoff seating and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going into this, even trying to figure out like how they're going to fit all these games in. Uh, there's a few people, reportedly multiple players, that are willing to do about two doubleheaders a week. Uh, the GM of the Blue Jays saying that he'd be willing to do seven-inning doubleheaders, which I don't 
I'll ask your thoughts on this. For for mine, I don't want to go down that road of seven inning doubleheaders because that was one of those hot button issues of maybe they should shorten games to seven innings. I do not want to give that any sort of thought or any sort of out period. I'd rather I'd rather not play doubleheaders if you're talking about going to seven inning doubleheaders. I tend to agree with you on that. I I don't hate the idea. If if the idea is to cram as many games into a season as you can, and you might have to start getting kind of creative. Okay, I guess. But and and that's how they do it in the minors when they when they have scheduled double headers. But not necessarily a huge fan of implementing all of the minor league rules. Like they still put a, a runner on second base. To in, in the 10th inning for minor league games. And it works fine in minor league games because minor leagues are a lot more gimmicky. But major leagues, if they get the taste of that and say, ooh, I like the seven-inning doubleheader thing, then there could be some type of ripple off of that. And I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that. For this year only, I would say okay, but anything after that, I just don't want anybody getting any ideas. No, I absolutely agree. I don't want any sort of ideas about moving to seven innings because – Baseball with Rob Manfred, we've already established, basically hates baseball. I don't want to give him any reason to find something that could shorten it or make it worse because he'll find that and use it to his advantage. Uh, but it does bring up some interesting, some interesting cases or some interesting potential solutions. Things like playing the World Series at a neutral site, or even these teams that that are have open stadiums. I mean, if you're talking about having games well into November. There's a lot of these stadiums that you won't be able to play outside in because they're going to be covered in snow. So what are you going to do for, for teams that don't have domes that are up north? I mean, they're going to have to find somewhere else to play. I mean, you can't just say no home games for a month and a half. I mean, h- how, do you, how do you determine how you're going to do that? And you can't. it's not as simple as just lopping off 72 games off the schedule and saying, all right, now you start here. I mean, you've got to redo an entire schedule. How do you determine who's going to play where and when? There's going to be some some manual tweaking in there because the baseball schedule gets made far enough in advance to where the city can plan around certain things, you know, and the availability of hotels and and stuff. So if you just assume that something is going to be able to say, oh, you know, we're going to put a Brave series this weekend where there wasn't one before, well, you can't guarantee that, that societally that's going to jive with everything going on around the stadium. So there, there will have to be a lot of manual oversight. And until they have a, a concrete date, they there's really only so much they can do to, to figure out how they're going to do that. I'm curious to get your thoughts, though, on doing the World Series at a neutral site. Just for this year, I kind of don't hate it. I felt like I, I feel like I should, but when you look at Super Bowls, and you look at college football championship, and it, yeah, it really doesn't matter. It, and I mean, maybe maybe you have the difference. You have somebody difference, a, a dome yeah. team that that winds up like getting home field advantage, and and if you're going to do all seven games, that's where it sucks. Like, let's say that they they decide we're going to do this in Minnesota just because they've got a dome, it, and the the Twins are good. So let's say that you have to play all seven games. In Minnesota, where it's like Twins Braves or, or something like that, that'll suck. That will really suck. But that's not well, really I think the part fault. of it that the part that gives me pause is that it's potential seven games. It's multiple games. When you talk about these neutral site games in football and basketball stuff like that, and football, it, it doesn't matter because it's one game. So I mean, everybody's kind of there together. So you're going to talk about massive swings as far as like 
fandom and stuff like that. I think it could work. Um, like I'm not, I'm not totally against it. It's not something that I'd like to see adopted full time because home field advantage is such a big deal in major league baseball and in the playoffs. It's such a big deal about where you're seated that, uh, I I'd hate to see that just thrown out the door for the sake of, you know, a cash grab of cities hosting world series. I don't, I don't much want to see that happen. Um, but for this year, I'd be I'd be willing to make a concession. Man, I'm willing to sacrifice just about anything just to get baseball back, though. Same here. And it has just occurred to me that the Twins do not play in a dome anymore. So disregard that example. We'll say the Rangers. But it doesn't it doesn't yeah, matter. They just spend all that money on the brand new stadium. Yeah. So you know, I should I should probably have have done my research on that before I just started spitballing there. But for this year, I'm willing to allow pretty much anything as long as baseball comes back. You know, seven inning double headers. Uh, neutral site World Series. Okay, we'll we'll talk. You know, and, may, and maybe maybe the they, they choose somewhere that it's that's a dome that's um, not currently oper- operable or something like that. Like some somewhere that you could do it like an offsite. Say somewhere in like I don't know Louisville, Kentucky, or something where it's like they've they've got something that they can cash in an indoor baseball stadium if they know that they're going to have enough advance notice to where it doesn't wind up being just. Rangers fans or Twins fans if they played in a dome or or whatever. You know what I mean? So maybe that'd be something to look into. Yeah, I mean, and it, it brings up a lot of interesting questions because it's really, we keep thinking of this as Major League Baseball being affected. It's not just Major League Baseball, though. I mean, we, we're having to figure out on the fly what's going to happen with the draft and the minor leaguers in general. Is uh, You've got some notes up here about, about the draft looking like it's going to be July. But talking about shortening a 40-round draft to 10 rounds? Yeah. For as many minor leaguers as there are, you know, you look at all the different levels. You know, you've got 26 on the big league squad and then 26 on AAA and then double and all the way down through Dominican Summer League. And, you know, you're looking at 200 different players, and that's just the Braves organization. And... A lot of that comes from a lot of it you hear guys refer to as minor league filler. And some of the times it's these guys that are senior signs in rounds six through 10, or guys that are still like project guys that were taken in round 13 or round 17. We did locked on Braves today, and it's CJ Alexander we were talking about, who was picked in the 20th round. And what it's just going to change every single thing about the draft. And I, and most people, you're a draft enthusiast. I'm a draft enthusiast. We love it. We love that type of thing. But most people don't care about the major league draft. But the impact of this could be just as far-reaching as a lot of any of these other decisions that they wind up making. Not just for the amount of money that these guys are going to wind up getting because some of the bonus pool payments are going to wind up being deferred through July 2021 and 2022. This also pushes a lot of guys that may have been taken highly. If you're working with uh, with um, smaller bonus pools, some guys that thought they were going to go high coming out of high school, they might opt to go to a junior college and then re-enter in 2021. So you're doing the 2021 draft a humongous favor by not having uh, some of these 2020 guys in there. But once again, it comes back to I'm willing to have almost anything on the table, even if it means cutting 30 or cutting three quarters off of my my favorite baseball event. Just for one year. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just such a different thing. Like, what's going to happen with, like, bonus pools? Because that was part of the big thing with the Astros getting slapped with their sanctions was it was going to severely affect their bonus pool. So are they going to essentially have... They're still going to lose that first and second slot bonus, or is they going to be, like, what's going to happen with this year? There's a lot of stuff to go into this. I mean, with baseball essentially trying to cancel, like, 40 minor league teams, this would be a good way for them to effectively do it despite all the fan outrage and everybody trying to say not to do it. I mean, you can say, well, we just don't have enough people to populate the rosters now and, and start seeing them shut it down. And if you get them to shut it down once, they're not coming back. So there, there's a lot that you got to keep your eye on right now. It does kind of seem like an oddly backhanded way for Manfred to to get what he wants out of the minor league contraction, which people were going to bat for so many minor leaguers right after that happened and and rightfully so it's such a thankless profession that it it would be it would be a shame if it happened under any circumstances but but especially if you're looking at at something where it's like oh we have to try and save baseball oh yeah but we're still going to kill this thing over here really okay yeah i mean it's it's a weird situation it's not one that i want to dwell on too much right now since we don't have we're still waiting for more answers but we are getting to the point where we're getting a little bit close to the end of our episode today. And I don't want to take up too much time because Doc over here came up with a fantastic idea for a new segment to do, at least while we're in this quarantine state and, strug- and uh, everybody's scrambling for content. But Doc has a great idea for a segment, and I don't want to steal your thunder anymore, Doc, but why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce the world to your brand new segment? <laughs> well... Uh, this segment is called Storytime. I, I spent all day coming up with a name for it. And Storytime is brought to you by Simply Safe, which is the eyes and ears that protect your home. It's a full-scale home security system you can install all by yourself in less than an hour. No need to wait for somebody to come and do it for you. The greatest generation would have installed their own home security system, so you probably should too. Besides, we know you're working from home anyways. You can take it, uh, take the time that you used to use to commute, and instead of wrestling with traffic on 285 or some other unnecessarily round highway or byway, you can do something productive with your time and protect your home. We're talking security cameras and doorbells to keep you abreast of what's happening outside, entry motion and glass break sensors for the inside. You can turn your home into an impenetrable fortress, and your living room can look like that one scene from Entrapment. You know the one I'm talking about, and if you don't, shame on you. It's only 50 cents a day for Simply Safe, and you'll have an entire contingent of police ready to swoop in and get on the home protection action. It's why Simply Safe is a two-time winner of CNET's Editor's Choice Award and why The Verge called it the best home security system. Go to simplysafe.com backslash team to get your 60-day risk-free trial. That's two months and no money. You've got nothing to lose. Safe with an I dot com slash team because suck it, Ackerman. Okay, story time was an idea that we had just to, we are kind of lucky that in each of the last two weeks we we have had had some stuff to talk about as far as what's going on with the league and how they're responding to to this COVID shutdown that we're all experiencing right now. And it's opening day. By the time you listen to this, it won't be opening day anymore. But it's time for memories and time for looking back on things. So I just thought it would be fun for at the end of every episode that we just kind of go back and forth and tell some stories about things we remember, games we were at, and and hopefully this is the type of thing that resonates with uh, with everybody. So do you want to go first, or did you want me to go first? Um, you know what? Let, I think yours is better than mine, so <laughs> I think we'll start off with mine. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think yours is probably a, a much better story. Um, I, I don't mind starting it off. So All right, go ahead, go ahead. 
So what I'm going to talk about today, it's not really a specific day, and I know this is already, we're into the first part of this segment, the very first time it's debuted, and the very first story, I'm already breaking the rules here. This is a Uh, bad start, we're off to a bad start. (laughs) You know, this is what I do, Uh, but it it was such a profound moment for me, and it's it's meant so much to me as far as like my baseball viewership in general, that it honestly, this this whole part that I'm going to talk about really is probably what has allowed me to maintain uh, my devotion to the game. So I'm going to take you back to 2012. It was Chipper Jones's final year. Uh, this was the end of an era for me being born in 1991. I had never known Braves baseball without Chipper Jones. Uh, Chipper was obviously like anybody born below the Mason Dixon. If you played shortstop, if you played third base, whatever the case was, Chipper Jones was your guy. That is who you wanted to be. Well, not me. Uh, I didn't want to be Chipper. I wanted to play next to Chipper. So I always had to try to find somebody to model a game off of and, and always have, like, we're playing in the backyard and my my whole thought process is playing next to Chipper or something like that, you know, the thoughts of, of young kids, whatever. But uh, it was a really weird time because I had already dedicated that I was going to watch every single game. It was 19th season. I was, uh, let's see, I was 21. 20 and 21 at the time. Um, and it had been a few years since I'd really followed the Braves as religiously as I used to. Once I moved out, uh, once I moved out around 18, 19, 19, 20, essentially, uh, I'd kind of fallen off watching them as much. I still followed them, just, just not nearly like we do now. Um, but I decided for 2012, I was going to watch all of it for Chipper's Swan Song. And I did. But towards the end of the year, if I'm being 100% honest, something totally changed, and I needed somebody who was going to take over that role of, of keeping me watching the Braves, somebody that I could tune in to, to watch that person instead of just saying I'm watching the Braves to watch the Braves because I've always been somebody that needs a particular person to watch for. Like I need something to focus on, and luckily in 2012, that's when Angelton Simmons made his debut with the Braves, and somebody who was a shortstop growing up for the first, you know, 15, 18 years of my career uh, playing shortstop, a guy like Angleton was, it was such an incredible sight. And this is a guy that, Doc, I don't remember how mu- what area you were in, if this is part of your black hole of baseball or what, but Angleton was a guy that when he came over really didn't have any fanfare. This was when Tyler Pasternicki was supposed to be the next big thing. And Angleton really didn't have much behind him. And then you'd, you'd start hearing about his glove and his arm, and you'd just be, oh, well, he's just a defense only. But it never told the, the full story. Like, you'd see it, and you'd picture him, oh, he's Omar Vizquel with the glove, like old Omar Vizquel with the glove. You'd get to this point, all of a sudden you start seeing him in spring training, you see start some of the stuff he's doing, you're like, hmm, that guy's not normal, but it's spring training. Then all of a sudden you get to this point where Pasternicki has been just awful, and the Braves are looking for something, anything at shortstop. So they call up Andrelton Simmons, and it was like, a light shone down when you when just watching him play defense it was like nothing i had ever seen before like i've i've never ever seen a guy consistently do what he does on the field and it's not even the highlight plays really like everybody can look at his dives or in particular one of the plays that always sticks out where he's running towards second the ball deflects and he goes backwards and bare hands it and makes the throw like there throws that he makes from the seat of his pants. I mean, there's plenty of, of incredible highlights, but it's it's things that don't look difficult that somebody who's played the position knows 
just how hard that play is. Like, there's one that Eric O'Flaherty always talks about. Eric obviously had a front row view for most of Angleton Simmons' brave tenure uh, of a of a ball that gets hit into left field, hits off the wall, and Angleton was so quick to it that he's able to cut it off and hold the guy to a long single when it should have been a double easily. And that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It's one base, but when another shortstop or another player is, is watching something like that and you're seeing how far out there he's able to move and how quickly he's able to diagnose where he needs to be off of a carom, it's just incredible to watch. And it was something that I really needed at the time. And it's something that that will always go down for me, regardless of what happens with Newcomb. And I know it's not really fair to Newcomb, uh, but it, it's always something that's going to go down for me. It's one of the most depressed moments of my Braves fandom, aside from, you know, the Cardinals game that I don't want to talk about, but like Angleton was the last player before Acuna that I really, really locked onto and latched onto. So losing him was, was huge, but being able to watch him in 2012 and beyond, that's really what kept me as devoted of a Braves fan as I am now. So I know it's not technically, you know, a specific date, but that's probably when I think of my favorite Braves of all time, I've got Chipper, I've got Angleton, I've got Maddox, and Acuna is going to be in there, I'm sure. But you know, I've got Andrew as well. But in that upper tier pantheon of, of guys that I've just enjoyed watching or, or have kept me captivated, it's Chipper and it's Angleton. Pretty strong left side of the infield uh, for that for that one year, it, and that was um, I fully emerged out of the out of the baseball black hole. Like 2013 was the first year that I was really really paying attention to every little detail. But I 2012, I remember when he came up and I, I had never heard of him before. I wasn't wasn't into prospects. Like I knew I knew about Hayward when Hayward came up and I knew about Freddie, but just even still I didn't quite realize the hype. I certainly didn't realize that he was going to turn into what he did. And for Andrelton, I just remember hearing about him like the day before or, or something on, on the broadcast. And then he came up and was just a freak. And I was surprised that he wasn't in that initial wave of trades that got made, like when they traded Upton and Hayward and Gaddis and and Kimbrel. You know, I, I figured that that Simba would have been one of the first ones that the teams would have called on. So when he did finally get traded, I, I'd spent a year just being being ready for it to happen. So, but yeah, that's a uh, it's weird to think and and that he's been gone longer than he was ever here. Isn't that crazy? That doesn't seem possible. I know it's 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 weird how it's weird how the time passes like that. But yeah, it's been four and a half years since. Like since I, I feel traded. like I'll be in the same place twenty years from now, recording our four thousandth TPS episode, and I'm still gonna feel like Andrelton was here yesterday. I know, and and you make a really good point about how it's not fair to Newcomb. You know, it's it's not his fault that he got traded for the best defensive shortstop maybe ever. No, maybe yeah, definitely like, ever, ev- ever, ever. You know, and that's it's just weird. We we are lucky that we got to see him as as long as we did, for sure. Lucky, and it's never going to be enough. Like, I'm serious when I tell you that I tune into Angels games. I mean, I want to watch Trout, but I didn't. I didn't watch Angels games before Angelton Simmons was there. It's a love that will never die, ever, like forever. Now I, I know that one's you know breaking the rules, and I know your story is a better story. So why don't you go ahead and get to yours before we run out of time on today's episode? All right. Okay. So when I was a kid, I, I made reference to this earlier that um, that I learned about baseball through my mom and my dad 
but first it was through my grandfather and everybody had TBS growing up and everybody also had WGN. And when I was growing up, we had TBS and WGN, but the Braves sucked and the Cubs didn't. So I watched a lot of Cubs games with my grandfather and I had had this memory burned into my brain ever since it happened. And I thought I was younger than I was when it actually happened. I went to baseballreference.com and, or BREF, you know, if we're, if we're not into the whole, um, if, if you don't want to be colloquial about it, whatever, or maybe if you do, whatever, I've, I've already lost track of where I am. So I was able to use context clues and able to look this up. So if anybody's got like a story where you just had like one random memory and you went on a long session to like dig for something like this, uh, we definitely want to. Oh, you mean kind of, kind of like our pre-show where we spent about 40 minutes trying to find Oliver Drake's physics breaking slider. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But yeah, you, you get like this one memory and you can start gradually going down the rabbit hole. I looked through three years of box scores to find this. I remember getting off the bus, and this is when we were still living in North Carolina, and for the first time ever, when uh, when I got there, I had an answering machine message that was just for me, and this was in 1990, so, you know, obviously a long time ago, the world has changed a lot, and it was my grandfather saying, he was like giving me a play-by-play recap of what had happened in the Cubs game, and I just remember him saying, Oh, and then the Cubs went crazy, and they scored ten runs in the second inning. And he had been telling telling me that the um, like how they were down five to nothing, and then they came back and they were they were up ten to five before it was over. And I just remember thinking, even back then, I'm like, this must be really significant. You know, I didn't fully grasp it, but I'm like, this moment is significant, and I think this means baseball is really significant because even. Even then, I was not at like a skill having level as as it pertained to baseball. I n- I never got there, so I certainly wasn't. I didn't have this when I was eight years old. But I went back and I just I had thought about that that memory a million times. And I found the box score and I'm looking at it. The final score of the game was eleven to six. This took place on Tuesday, September the eleventh, nineteen ninety. And I'm looking back over this. I'm like the Expos lineup that day was Tim Raines. Dave Martinez, who was replaced by Moises Alou, Delano DeShields, senior, Tim Wallach, Larry Walker, and Andres Galarraga. That was their top six. Just unbelievable. And then on the Cubs, who I just, this was the era of Cubs that I loved. This was uh, Sean Dunstan, Mark Grace, Andre Dawson, uh, Ryan Sandberg was on the team. Uh, He did not play this particular game. Starting catcher for the Cubs that day, Damon Berryhill, who is now the manager for the Gwinnett Stripers, or he will be whenever the, the season starts back. And Mike Bilecki, who eventually pitched for the Braves, uh, pitched in that game too. But it's just, it's so strange. Like I, I have had, like I said, I had that that one answering machine message bouncing around in my head. I can, I can still hear it 30 years later. And uh, I was able to finally locate this. I had, I almost gave up. I'm like, I'm, I'm never going to find this. There's no way this happened in 1990. And apparently it did. So once again, our call to action for this week is if you've had any type of tiny little nugget of a memory and you wound up going down a rabbit hole and eventually finding what you were looking for as it pertains to something like this, let us know. Cause that's my own personal experience with it. It was super cool and very vindicating when I finally got to it. So th- there we go. <laughs> most definitely. There we go. Most definitely. So 
I mean, it's a that's an awesome story. I mean, it's not often that you can count on older relatives to quote you perfect box scores and to be able to go back and find an exact game. Very, very cool. I haven't. Uh, I don't think I've ever had anything like that. And I'm going to be on the lookout to see if I can delve into my memory for that. But for those of you out there, if you guys have any other memories of, of specific games or or moments that kind of changed you as a fan, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Make sure you reach out to us on Facebook or wherever. Um, thank you guys so much for listening during all this. We know everything sucks right now, but uh, hopefully we're getting closer to baseball and getting all this done. Make sure you guys stay safe out there. We'll be back again next week, just like we will the week after that and the week after that and the week after that forever and ever and ever. Or at least until... Uh, until we're old men and can't figure out how to work the newfangled computers we'll have in 20 years. But for the, until then, you can catch us every week pretty much on all the same platforms. Y'all know what to do. Thank y'all so much. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you.